Hello, and welcome to the Legacy Academy. I'm your host, Justin Grice, the COO of LCO Law, and with me is my wife, attorney Natalia Ouellette Grice, the owner of LCO Law and published author of two amazing books on real estate investing. You can find both of these books on Amazon by clicking the link in the description. Now, today's episode, we're going to be talking about asset protection specifically for real estate investors. Now, if you're a real estate investor, you know that the rewards for investing in property can be significant, but so can the risks. Lawsuits, property damage claims, other liabilities can quickly wipe out your investment portfolio, leaving you with nothing. And that's why asset protection is so critical for investors. In this episode, we'll be discussing the need for asset protection, the process of setting protection strategies, and the outcomes that you can expect from implementing these strategies. Now, Natalia... What is asset protection and why is it important specifically for real estate investors? So asset protection can be thought of as a series of strategic steps taken to protect your personal and business assets from foreseeable risks, right? So like limiting liability, minimizing taxes, repelling creditors, sheltering your assets so that you become less appealing to potential creditors and addressing what I like to call the seven Ds of doom, your death, disability, debt, duties, known as taxes, divorce, um, disagreements between you, your partners, the people that you work with, the people that you're providing services to, the people that you contract with for real estate. And lastly, done working, you know, retirement, right? Whether it's voluntary or forced, <laughs> these are the things that you need to be addressing in asset protection. And it's really, really important for real estate investors because unlike a typical individual who might work at a W-2 company and the company's the one that's protected from risk and liability, uh, real estate investors own one or more businesses and uh, therefore are the business owner with the direct liability if something comes up. That's why it's important to make sure that you understand asset protection. Okay, so what are some of the most common risks and liabilities for real estate investors? And how could asset protection maybe mitigate those risks? So the, the most common things that we see are, uh, number one, disagreements or disputes. So this is like the disputes in real estate contracts, disputes and disagreements with uh, partners, like joint venture agreements that go south. Um, the second type I would say is premises liability issues, like slips and falls and, you know. Uh, Morgan and Morgan will be on you like that. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Whether it's with your tenants or, you know, you have a property that's being listed for sale or the contractor that was in there fixing something and injured himself fixing your roofs. Those are kind of the premises liability issues. And then um, I would say number three, death and disability. Okay, yeah. like too many of you guys out there are thinking that uh, this will never happen to you, but it is guaranteed to happen to every single one of us. And finally, taxes. Oh, so many are not planning for taxes. And the Internal Revenue Service is the most powerful creditor for a U.S. citizen. So this is something that uh, is a huge risk and liability for real estate investors. All right. So what are some of the most common uh, asset protection strategies that real estate investors can use? So um, I'm going to talk about first the ones that I see used 
versus what they can use because most uh, real estate investors only use a minuscule asset protection strategy known as creating a limited liability MTT, right? So they're like, okay, uh, I, I hear about this concept of limiting liability. I have no idea what it really means. I'm just going to put my business into an LLC and go from there. But a limited liability company just does one thing. It puts your business into an entity, but if you do not run that limited liability company like a separate entity and instead commingle funds, treat it as your own personal piggy bank, <laughs> use that the business card for having dinners or going to the ballpark or meeting up with prospective business partners, but you know not for actual business things, you are essentially disintegrating the uh, viability of that limited liability kind company. Of piercing the corporate Yeah, mail. all of that happens. And so that little tiny strategy is the one that I see used by real estate investors. Um, realistic strategies that should be used involve so much more than just creating an entity. It means creating an entity, but actually having and treating it as a separate thing, having operating agreements with the entity that deal with all of the potentialities of what can go wrong with a business and how to manage a business and how to administer a business. Um, having an estate plan in place because guess what? You and your business partners can die and become incapacitated like that. You know, we have, again, we have over 200,000 vehicular accidents in the state of Florida. Um, we It is very uh, high risk. It's why car insurance is so high. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there's trust vehicles that can be used. There are land trust vehicles to isolate your assets. Um, corporate structures that can be put in place. Um, even sometimes some irrevocable trust can be used in place for asset protection strategies. And so you've got to think about the availability of these tools, but also going hand in hand with having much, much better business practices to limit the risks involved. Right. And, and one thing that you talk about often that I've noticed is that there are certain businesses that have that, that carry a higher risk mm -hmm. and so putting all of your assets into one lump and not taking risk factors into consideration is a big no-no as well yes right so um a big common mistake that i see with real estate investors is they'll, they'll have like one llc for all the things that they do they'll put all of their rentals into this they'll also put all of the kind of like the whole sailing aspect of their business into this. And, and at the same time, they're using this company to also uh, do their side gig of um, painting and improving the property, right? All those types of businesses have different risks involved. Yeah. And when you commingle risks and all of the assets together, right, you are essentially allowing somebody to sue you for the job that they didn't like and what you did, let's say improving the vanities in the bathroom that they hired you for. And now they can go and grab your uh, investment properties to satisfy that lawsuit because you commingled everything and put it all into one entity. Right. So yeah, it's uh, wise to distinguish between types of risk and separate those risks into different entities too. All right. So you, you mentioned LLCs, the limited, uh, limited liability companies. Mm -hmm. You mentioned land trusts. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other uh, types of legal structures that can be used for asset protection? 
Um, so, I mean, you've got corporations as well. Those are another type of, of legal entities. They're not as popular as limited liability companies because corporations do tend to have uh, state income taxes in more states where you wouldn't think that state income taxes exist. So, for example, in Florida, we do have a corporate state income tax. So if you file as a corporation, if you created an entity that is literally a corporation, then there's a 5.5% income tax in the state of Florida. It's not like individuals that don't have an income tax. So that's one of the reasons why people are maybe a little bit um, unlikely to use corporations. Land trusts are not like typical trusts, and they are creatures of statute. There's only a few states in the entire United States that have land trusts. Florida is one of those. Uh, and these are trusts created specifically for holding real estate assets. And a land trust from Florida can actually hold real estate assets anywhere in the country. Okay. So that's one of the um, kind of nice things about land trusts because they're not recorded in the sense that you know nobody sees your trust agreement. It's private. You don't have to register with the state. So that's a commonly used one. Um, and, and then, of course... Uh, other ways in which real estate assets can be held is, uh, you know, if you have a self-directed IRA, you can have your assets being held by your self-directed IRA. Uh, one of the issues that can come up with that, though, is, you know, if you want to sell <laughs> that property that is in your IRA, your your administrator, uh, the one that's actually holding your IRA, like, for example, uh, Advanta IRA services is a really common one. They're actually going to have to sign off on the deed and everything. So you do have another party involved in signing off on those transfers. And sometimes they're not the most flexible entities to work with. Um, so, But there are different ways in which you can do this uh, so that you can... Um, Hold assets in structures that are separate from you, and so your personal assets are segregated from the liability of your real estate business. Okay. Um, we know that um, insurance is really important, but how is it? How how can you explain to real uh, real estate investors how it is used in asset protection? So, insurance is huge. It's I mean it's so important because the purpose of insurance is to pass on that monetary out-of-pocket risk to a third-party entity that has much, much bigger pockets than you. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so if you have real estate assets and you have no insurance, you have just self-insured, meaning that you are um, taking on the liability of something happening on the premises that you own and having to identify the source from which you're going to satisfy the judgment for injuries happening uh, happening on the property, for um, disputes that might arise out of like the people that work for you, because yeah. you know a successful real estate investor is going to have a team, right? So if you don't have like general liability coverage that covers uh, errors and omissions by your employees, oh, yeah. theft by your employees, especially if you're holding funds that belong to somebody else uh, in the transaction. So it's really, really essential that you have great insurance that covers all of the types of business activities that you have, not just hazard insurance. Um, you want that general liability coverage. If you're you know, flipping, you might wanna have builder's coverage in place. Um, so yeah, 
this is this is why part of your team when you're a real estate investor is to have a really really good uh insurance agent that you can always call and say okay i've got this new thing let's get it insured i've created this new business let's make sure that i have the right insurance in place for that uh, you never want to go uncovered. Self-insurance is really not the best way to go. Not the best way to go. Mm-hmm. What about uh, wholesalers who aren't actually going to be physically holding a property? Or do you think that they should require any type of uh, insurance coverage as far as their business goes? Um, so I would say, as even as a wholesaler, right, you want to run your wholesaling business through a separate entity because whatever happens as a result of a breakdown in a contract for sale and purchase or any other type of contract, like an assignment con- uh, contract, those disputes do subject you to monetary liability, monetary damages, that kind of thing. So if you run your business as a wholesaler through an entity, let's say a limited liability company, and you get liability insurance coverage, there might be some activities that are covered by that. Sure. Um, especially if, for example, you are kind of a novice and you receive somebody else's money to hold and it gets stolen along the way, right? right. You might yeah. get li- you might have liability coverage for that if you had a policy in place. Okay. Okay. All right, great. Now, can you explain the difference between asset protection and estate planning? Because it seems like there's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. But maybe you can break down what the like the key differences are. Right. So estate planning is part of asset protection. Okay. okay? So it's part of that. Yes. It's system. one of like the, the little subsets of asset protection. Because asset protection is, you know, again, it's limiting liability, it's creditor protection, it's tax planning. Um, and so estate planning is part of that umbrella of asset protection. So Asset protection is about keeping your assets out of court and out of conflict, uh, keeping yourself uh, out of litigation. Uh, It's about reducing risk. It's about discouraging other parties from seeing you as a potential target (laughs) of litigation. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Whereas estate planning is about you personally and your business partners not having to end up in probate court or guardianship court because you became incapacitated or because you passed away, which is a really, really expensive type of litigation. People don't often understand that, you know, probate litigation, if it's uncontested, can sometimes uh, cost about 5% of the total value of the assets of your estate. And if you own just a couple pieces of real estate, you can be looking at a million dollar estate right then and there. So think about that 50 grand in in estate planning costs, uh, sorry, in probate costs as opposed to estate planning. Uh, Guardianship can be even more expensive. So if somebody, for example, hits you in a car accident and now you're incapacitated, you've lost your ability to have long-term memory and you're having those kind of issues and you need a guardian appointed for you, for the rest of your life, every year, that guardian's going to have to create a report to the court. They're going to have to uh, create an accounting plan, a, a plan of care for you. And those are a significant costs. And your guardian can request the court to, out of your assets, pay that guardian for your care, right? So guardianship can be even much more expensive than um, probate litigation as a result of you passing away. 
And the purpose of estate planning is to keep your assets out of having to go through that and keep your family out of having to go through the guardianship and probate uh, process, but also your business partners when you're a real estate investor. Because so many of you are out there and you get together with one or two of your friends. Each one of you has a particular strength in the real estate industry. One of you is like a really good salesperson. The other one is, you know, like really amazing with analytics. The other one's like really great with his hands and actually does like the actual building and construction work on an entity and if you guys are together in a business something happens to one of you now that person's shares can be stuck in probate court um, and they can be stuck in guardianship court if that person's incapacitated so you're forcing your business owners to your your partners to go into litigation if you do not do estate planning those are some of the differences right there it's a very expensive thing to not have an estate plan if you are a real estate investor. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it, that's one of the most critical mm-hmm. aspects because if you have properties in a land trust and all three of you are on that land trust, nothing can happen until a guardian is appointed, until probate has gone you know, gone through. Yeah, it, it so essentially- So it, it brings your business to a standstill. It does, it does. And I would say like, if you were to be looking at asset protection as like a pyramid of what steps you take, I mean, the first steps that you should take are being properly insured and having an estate plan in place. Yeah, okay. Um, what are some common mistakes that real estate investors make with their asset protection planning? Um, so one of the most frequent mistakes that I see aside from not having an estate plan in place is not having operating agreements for their entities. So they, you know, file for an entity, let's say under SunBiz, they create an entity in Florida, they might create an entity in Nevada or one of the other favorable states for creating um, entities. And they just have no agreements in place, nothing that actually says like how the company is governed, how the company is taxed, uh, who can manage the company if something happens to you, right? Who can go and sign something with a bank? Who can go and um, have interactions with customers on behalf of the company? Who can sign agreements on behalf of the company and bind them? Who could borrow money on behalf of the company? None of that. <laughs> they just don't, they fail to have uh, operating agreements. And that's a really huge mistake. Uh, another one is uh, not being properly insured or being significantly underinsured. So they might get like hazard insurance policy for their property. Um, but uh, let's say if you have rentals, right, they don't require their tenants to have renters insurance. They don't get general liability coverage. And this is especially important if you have any sort of a team in place. Um, uh, they... Uh, don't do their due diligence in having uh, and starting a business with somebody else, right? That's, oh my God, I see that one all the time. Yeah, so I gave, you know, I gave $100,000 to this person who uh, said that we were going to be co-owners of property and they barely knew the people. They didn't do their due diligence in figuring out like, who are these individuals? Why are they asking for this amount of money? What kind of proof of them having money to, you know, put skin in the game, what have you done there? What do you know about them, right? Um, So those are huge mistakes. And then I'm gonna bring up one that I see that is just not understood enough in the investor community, and that is fraudulent transfers, okay? If you wait until you get sued to then go, oh, I need an entity, or I should put this into a different vehicle, or I should put this into a land trust, or just like to to try to shelter those assets, that's too late. Too late. Too late. There's a statute called Fraudulent Transfers Acts. They're in every single uh, state in the country. 
And what that means is that that creditor can pull that asset out of whatever entity you try to transfer to because it's considered a fraudulent transfer. And for many states, including Delaware, so if you have a Delaware entity, that's up to four years of a look back period. So the time is now to put your assets into these entities into the LLC to separate things into an actual proper business to put your things into land trust before a claim is made because like I said that look back period is four years Mm -hmm. that's a significant time period um, in which creditors can go no you know what you you moved over that asset because you knew there was a claim in place or a claim that was coming because you made a mistake and an error and you think that you haven't been caught yet right four years um, so that's a, that's a big mistake that uh, investors ignore, thinking that they have all the time in the world to put their assets in the way they should be to properly plan for their estates. Excellent. Excellent. So l- let's get out of some of that doom and gloom <laughs> about being sued. And let's talk about taxes, you know, because mm-hmm. you had mentioned that uh, in asset protection, there's a lot of tax planning involved, right? Yep. How can the asset protection planning help them minimize their taxes? So, um, and there's estate taxes, there's uh, gift taxes, capital gain taxes, federal taxes, state taxes that you need to think about. But let's let's start out with like a really simple one, right? Like minimizing tax liability. Um, if you are transferring the property from yourself and somebody else into now an entity, you need to make sure that you are properly advising the clerk who's doing the recording on the value of that transfer for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, you don't want to be hit with gift tax penalties saying that you're transferring this entity uh, or assets into this entity as a gift right and failing to file form 709 with the internal revenue service <laughs> the irs is going to get their money <laughs> you also don't want to say that the value of the transfer is nothing if the property is mortgaged because then you can be subject to triple tax penalties with the state of florida for documentary triple. stamp taxes right so that's part of asset protection planning to help you minimize tax liability and penalties Um, You have to be conscientious of how you're using depreciation uh, with your real estate uh, assets because there is a depreciation recapture tax of 25% on what you've depreciated when you actually go to sell the asset. A lot of people don't think about that. Um, Proper capital gains tax planning can involve the use of tax deferral tools like 1031 exchanges. Sure. Part of asset protection planning might be not actually selling your real estate, but using some of the equity that you've built up to then acquire other pieces of real estate so that you don't trigger a capital gains tax thing. Holding assets for at least a year so that it's, you know, at least the capital gains tax rate, which is lower than the uh, immediate regular income tax rate Mm -hmm. uh, for for many of you. Tax planning can involve, you know, the use of uh, having an S-corporation filing. Um, I wouldn't recommend this for passive investments necessarily, but if you're running a business in which, like, you are a flipper, you're actually working on the business, um, it might benefit you to have an S-election to reduce self-employment taxes on the profits that your business brings. Um, estate planning can also help you minimize tax consequences. It's not just about the estate tax, which right now 
it's a huge exemption in place, but that sunsets December 31st of 2025. It's no longer going to be the, you know, 12 nearly, million. yeah, nearly 13 million thing. No, that's, that's going to go away. Um, it's going to be at least half that. So, uh, you know, as your empires grow, as you count what the value of your real estate assets are, you're going to realize that you are so much closer to having an estate tax liability. So if you're married, there are ways in which you can hold your assets to minimize your estate tax consequences. Um, and even if you're not married, right, rather than gifting assets in life, which means that you are transferring your basis in the property to your poor beneficiary, and when they go to sell, they're going to have this huge capital gains tax issue. If you gift your assets at death, right now there's a step up in basis, meaning that hey, you bought the asset for 100K, but when you died, it was worth 800K. Your heirs get to have a step up in basis to 800K. Oh. So it, you know, that means that they sell it for 800K or 805, they only have to pay taxes on the five grand that it, you know, appreciated between the death and that rather than $700,000, which is what they will pay capital gains taxes on if you gift it to them in life. Oh, man. So it's really, really important to have this discussion with uh, your CPA, with an attorney that is more versed in, in tax matters as part of asset protection planning. Okay, great. So we've discussed some of the risks, you know, I, I think everybody's pretty much aware that if somebody slips and falls in your place, Morgan and Morgan will be on their ass, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> but uh, what are some of the other risks uh, about not having an asset protection plan in place for these real estate investors? So you have the risks of, uh, like I mentioned, uh, you're being stuck in the probate and guardianship process. And you know, probate takes about, a, it takes a couple of years. Sure. Um, also, if you're stuck in different types of, uh, like, let's just say breach of contract uh, lawsuits, the other side can request that assets that would be used to satisfy the indebtedness uh, that's being argued get frozen. So your assets can be frozen for years of litigation and you can't run your business. That's one that's, you know, not well thought out. Uh, and it's also the cost, right? The cost of litigation, but the cost to you to not be able to sleep, to be frustrated yeah, the all the time. emotional toll is something that we haven't really talked about, and, right? And to your family, because all the stress of litigation, you're going to bring home to your spouse, you're going to bring home to your kids, you're going to bring it home to your pets too. <laughs> <laughs> Fluffy don't deserve that. Right, and so you really need to be conscious of um, the true cost of not doing something about it now before there's any issues in place, before you get sued for something, before you make a mistake that you can potentially be sued for. I mean, you got to remember the statute of limitations allows people to file lawsuits against you for what happened for four or five years at a time. Uh, and so what you thought was an okay thing three years ago, you can get sued for today. Sure. So it's, it's really important to be conscious of what can I do now that I have the control over, right, to protect myself and my assets and my family from having to go through this. Excellent. So what 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 is your role as an attorney in asset protection planning for these real estate investors? So um, based on my decades of expertise, my role is, you know, getting down to the strategic thing of what can we do for our client based on what they have, based on what they want to happen. 
based on who's involved in their family, who do they have as a resource to trust and to be involved in helping execute this plan, both for estate planning purposes, but also for managing their company if something happens to them. Um, educating them on, you know, what are the proper insurance things that, that you need in place for the type of business that you run, helping them plan for tax purposes, connecting them to the right professionals to implement these tax strategies. Um, you know, so it's, it's advice. It's obviously the drafting of these very complex legal documents. It's the structure, the ongoing support so that clients make informed decisions, right? Things that you're just not going to get if you print a form online. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's actual counsel. It's actual counsel. Correct. You know, discussing your options. Mm -hmm. And like you said, printing a form online, you're getting no expertise. Right. And, and I mean, you kind of think of uh, an asset protection specialized attorney as uh, kind of like the oncologist if you've been diagnosed with cancer, right? Potential claims are a cancer on your business and on, on your family. The oncologist is a long-term partner that helps you identify what's wrong, minimize what's wrong, treats what's wrong, protect every other aspect of like your organs and your life, teaches you what to eat, what, what you should be doing and has that plan with you. Right. This is the role of the professional in your real estate business. Excellent. So finally, we want to talk about the three things that an investor should take today to protect their investments. So um, three things from it. Number one, for the love of God, have an estate plan in place. Create a real estate plan in place. Uh, Number two, put your business into separate legal entities that are there for the purpose of segregating different business risks. Right, right. And then number three, make sure that you are sufficiently insured for the different types of businesses that you run as part of your real estate empire. Excellent. So I want to end today's episode with a quote that I read in a book many years ago, and it said that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is today. Mm 